ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Green Ball Corp, has been producing industry-leading tires for ATV side-by-side market for over 25 years with tires like Mongrel, Dirt Devil, TerraMaster, XC Master, Dirt Commander, and Groundbuster. They have a tire for your application. Top racers from GNCC, Works, and Best in the Desert rely on GBC Power Sports Tires. So why shouldn't you? Go check them out at gbctires.com to see the full line of tires they offer. Thank you very much. Don Turk, hey man. I don't know if you realize what a pleasure this is and an honor this is for me. Not everybody knows that you were the first guy to be uh, my rider. Uh, I was your mechanic as a rookie and you were a seasoned veteran and uh, you will always have a special place in, in my world because you allowed me, you didn't even hesitate. You just allowed me to work on your stuff. Hey, Leonard, it's so good to see you and talk to you. It, those were really good times, and um, you did a great job. I really enjoyed working with you, and, you know, we had a ton of fun. I mean, we really we traveled, and, you know, those were, those, were, those were interesting times. You know, you had to make it happen to get to the races, and we all did. And, uh, you know, we all, have a, we all had a what really good, wonderful time doing that. I mean, you remember we went to Holland as well. And did that Veronica Beach race. That was a hoot. Yeah, I didn't get to go to Holland. You went with Lauren, but I was a I was breaking in. I was part of the setup and I was part of the program getting ready. But you guys got to have all the fun in Holland. Um, I still was jealous uh because that bike worked great, you set up. Well, I appreciate that. Um and and you, you know, you guys had a great time and you did really, really well, you know. It was a fun, it was a fun experience. Um, those were, you know, those were uh, nostalgic times back in the day. How did you get tied into racing ATVs? Uh, well, I raced two wheelers for quite a while. You know, I grew up in uh, Southern California, Carlsbad, Lucadia area. Um, and I raced two wheelers, CMC series. Um, and I raced uh, the AMA nationals. I uh, made a Supercross main event or two and raced a bunch of nationals, traveled around the United States, raced the 250 Supercross series and the 500 outdoors. And, um, you know, uh, I got booted out of the house when I was about 17 and a half for some uh, uh, nefarious activity. And um, <laughs> the, I tell you, I had a friend, David Gehrig, who worked at High Torque Publications, uh, and Dennis Cox worked at Dirt Wheels as well. And there was a couple other guys that worked there. Um, uh, Steve Casper and Tim Tolson. And uh, they would ask me to come out and ride these four-wheelers. And I would, you know, I, I mean, I, I would go out and we would do these tests for these magazines. And 
it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed riding them. I mean, I was kind of built for them. And one thing led to another, and Suzuki was paying a you know, pretty good contingency money to win races. You could race Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday in Southern California. And obviously I needed to make some money. So, so I jumped on that bandwagon and we, uh, you know, I worked with the magazine I worked with some great sponsors. I worked with you. I worked with Lauren. It was a, you know, it was a heck of a good time. I really enjoyed it. Fabulous times. So the ATV thing just happened because you were in the right place at the right time. It seems like, you know, it, it was the three wheeler thing was changing and uh, the three wheeler guys were going over to the four wheeler thing. And a couple of us two wheeler guys were, were going over to the four wheeler thing. And I mean, it was, you know, for me, it was, it was kind of pure economics. Um, I, I mean, I, two wheelers were great. I, I mean, Mitch Payton built me a Husqvarna. I rode for Husqvarna there for a, I was a support guy. I had one of those new single shock bikes that they had just come out with. And I mean, uh, I learned a lot. I learned from the two wheel industry, how two strokes make horsepower. I mean, I remember sitting in Mitch Payton's office in LA or I'm sorry, Anaheim, California. I mean, this is back when the guy had a small building and, I mean, he had my motor apart in his lap and he was filling the cases with epoxy and he was grinding out the epoxy to create more, or, or I believe less volume and more pressure to pull on the transfer ports to pull fuel in there. So it had more low end power. And um, I learned, you know, I learned how to make my bikes work and I learned how those guys made bikes work. And I took that over to the four wheelers. And it helped me set up suspension and helped me communicate with you and Lauren about what I wanted in the bike, how I like the power to be and what, uh, uh, you know, just the whole tuning effect. I mean, I think that's a lost art. Um, today, these kids in Supercross, or, you know, the, they hand them a bike and they go ride them. I mean, we actually, you know, we actually built the things back in the day. And, you know, we, I mean, we didn't have a fuel injection. We had old regular old carburetors. You know? <laughs> You think about some of the archaic things that we dealt with and, and, and built, you know, I mean, you raced 250Rs when we put shocks on them. Oh, sometimes, sometimes we ran the stock shocks, stock A-arms and would build the motor. And that's what you wrote. There was no steering dampeners. There was none of this high tech stuff now that, that everybody has. So that's how I got over to the ATV, the four wheeler. Uh, world. It was a transition time. You know, I said the three-wheeler guys were coming over, Marty Hart, Jimmy White, um, Dean Sundahl. I mean, there was a bunch of them um, back in the day. And then the, we had the four-wheeler guys coming around, uh, Rodney Gentry, me, Marty came over to race the four-wheelers, Jimmy White raced the four-wheelers. And, it, you know, it was, uh, it was a really interesting time because those guys were bringing their three-wheeler skills over. And I was bringing uh, the moto skills over. Uh, Gary Denton, you know, he wrote the two wheelers. He was successful as well. Um, it was, you know, it was an interesting melding of time there. You know, Suzuki had their factory team for a while. Honda had ended their team and Suzuki ended their team. And I had the, the Yamaha thing. We built this, took this <laughs> took the motor out and put a YZ250 motor in it. And, uh, it, you know, it worked good. It was it was an, uh, it, it was fun. Yamaha was great to work with, and you guys did a great job building that bike. And 
Um, I think, uh, I think I won a race or two on it. And, um, didn't you win a championship on that 250? I think I did. I, I don't remember which one. Um, but I know, I know that you did win a championship on it. And the year after you won the title, you were riding a Honda for Lauren and Joel Bontu from France was riding that 250 in a Mickey's. <laughs> I, yeah, that bike, uh, I'm not sure what happened to it. Um, it ended up somewhere and I did, I rode those Hondas were great bikes. And I mean, that was a, you know, a change in the times and, uh, it, it's uh those hondas work great those yamahas work great i mean i remember um i really like those hoosier 05 tires on the back especially and we would run a little more air pressure because it was a softer rubber compound and we'd have that i had this groove you know wide groove thing through the triangle that, that i liked and I, I i do i think it helped uh it helped hook up you know those mickey thompson races that dirt in those stadiums was, you know, varied from Detroit to Seattle to Las Vegas. Sometimes you had dry conditions. Sometimes you had wet conditions. And um, I was, I, I remember running those tires and I remember I had such a great time. I mean, I, it instantly hooked up out of the corners um, and gave me just a little, you know, a little traction boost there. Yeah, they, they, they did. Everybody had a, a tri-track of some sort on their machine. And, and I even remember us racing with no beadlocks. Beadlock, what are those? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You had to run enough air pressure back then. To, <laughs> to keep the tire on the bead, you know, yeah. so you, you couldn't, if you weren't getting traction, you couldn't lower the air pressure down anymore or you pop a bead and then your race is over. You know, you're exactly right. And that's why those, and you know, for me, at least those O fives work so good because I could run it enough pressure to keep it on the bead and, you know, that stiffen the tire, stiffen the sidewall, but uh, that O five rubber compound, uh, natural rubber, there's something about that one that was different than the other ones. And, um, it, you know, it, it got good traction. I, I don't know that worked for me. I mean, and that sticky wet, Stadium dirt. I remember that thing really, you know, we had a great motor in there. Lauren, you, Paul Turner built a fabulous motor. I mean, that thing hooked up out of the corners and pulled down the straightaways. It was, uh, I remember that feeling of accelerating out of those corners and accelerating off the jumps. And it's, uh, it's really a great feeling. I'll remember that for the rest of my life. That's so cool. That is so cool. Yeah. When you retired, it was kind of strange. I mean, when you stopped racing, it was, you, you kind of disappeared. <laughs> you know, I mean, look, let's, let's go back there. I mean, uh, uh, you know, Honda pulled out of racing. Uh, then I had the number one plate and Suzuki pulled out of racing. And then I did a deal with Yamaha and then kind of Yamaha pulled. I mean, it was, uh, it was, it was treacherous times back then. Yeah. You, you rode the Honda with us, I think two years. I believe so. Yeah. And at the second year, um, because I was still a newbie, I didn't really ask a lot of questions. Lauren just said, you're working on this bike. Okay, great. 
And, and I worked on that bike and, um, or bikes, you know, depending on, and one year you were the guy and the next year you weren't there. Yeah. You know, remember that truck, I got to drive a grand national sport truck. Um, yeah, Danny, Danny Thompson. Yeah. Mickey Thompson's son, Danny Thompson had the several eight trucks and I, uh, uh, me and a guy named Bill Silverman, Silverman, a, a sponsor, a good friend of mine. We, uh, we got a semi truck and did a race team and did some races for a little while there. And, um, you know, that was great fun too. Uh, I ended up moving. I, I got, you know, I love the mountains and I, I always wanted to backcountry ski and I'm a, probably a ski bum at heart and I love snowmobiling. I'm a big snowmobiler and I got an opportunity to move to the Colorado Rocky mountains in a place called Crested Butte. And I moved there and, and, uh, started a, a business and I was successful and I had a great time, uh, in the mountains learning to ski or, you know, getting to be a better skier. These mountain towns are just full of crazy adrenaline athletes. And it's so much fun. You know, it's just like the racing world is to be in that environment snowmobiling and skiing it's really you know it's a great group of people and i really enjoyed that and i love the mountains and i ended up spending uh you know i still uh, live there today i i've been there for a long time and I, it's a lot of fun uh, you know you got to go snowmobiling you got to try it's it's uh it, <laughs> there's nothing like 165 or 200 horsepower between your legs on a deep deep powder day my friend it is a good time well, uh, one of these days I'm going to because uh, I, I spoke with Doug Gust and he told us that we needed to come out for a winter uh, to tape a winter show with him and go snowball snowmobiling because my wife's been my wife won't go ride ATVs or motorcycles or UTVs with me in the desert. But she said, no problem. Let's go snowmobile and I'll go. She's a smart girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I've never been um in the snow you know if it's cold out i'm like hiding in the closet because it's yeah especially as i get older yeah the cold is just not my friend you know yeah it's uh uh it's a good time man that dry powder that colorado dry powder is hard to beat do you still do a lot of skiing um i do i've skied for for years you know that when i pulled away from the racing thing and, and wanted to do, you know, wanted to live in the mountains. Um, I learned to ski and that was, you know, 25 years ago. Good grief. Uh, I love skiing. It's a great, I love, I love skiing with my dog. We go backcountry skiing. I take my dog and uh, my girlfriend drives me up the road, top of the mountain. and We go ski off the top of the mountain and she drives down to the bottom of the pass and picks us up, picks us up. And it, Skiing with your dog is, uh, you know, I mountain bike too. I'm a big mountain biker now. And, and skiing a mountain bike with my dog is probably two of the most fun things a guy can do. Watching your dog enjoy that same experience you do is, you know, it's pretty fun. So how do you, the, the dog just runs next to you or the, or, or the dog's with you actually? No, no, his dog runs. Uh, he runs. Wow. He's a, he's a beast. So that's pretty awesome. Uh, I'm just becoming a dog guy because my wife is. So I'm learning. I'm learning the the pleasures and roughness of owning a dog. We have uh, four puppies right at the moment. So you're doing it right. <laughs> yeah. 
I don't know about that, you know, but yeah, I mean, we have four dogs all about the same age, you know, four to six months old and then two older dogs. And, and, um, the, fortunately they're all small, but it, it, it's, it's the greatest thing about a dog is when you walk in the front door and you're in a bad mood. They the dog they're happy to, yeah. They're happy to see you. You know, dogs are great. Dogs are great. I'm learning that. I'm learning that. So you, you cross country ski or how do you, how do you pronounce or how do you categorize that? Cause you're downhill skiing, right? Yeah. Alpine skiing. Um, and you know, backcountry skiing off piece off the, out of the ski resort, um, you know, or snow cat skiing or something like that. I mean, we ride snowmobiles up a couple guys and, you know, we ski down and someone picks us up and we go back up again. And, um, I mean, with, you know, the question was, where did I end up? I mean, I, I, I always loved the mountains and I, it, they were a draw for me. So I ended up in this, uh, ski town called Crested Butte, which is a super hardcore ski town. And I, I had business opportunity there and I pursued it and, um, spent a lot of time there and had a great time. And, um, and I also did some things. I had a motorcycle club, Crested Butte Trail Riders. Um, we did a lot of trail repair, trail maintenance, and, you know, tried to argue in the benefit of motorized user groups, you know, versus the, uh, some of the other groups. And it, 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 it was, uh, it, it's a lot of fun. You should come out. <laughs> <laughs> you also raced some work world off-road championship series in the early days in the 2000, 2001 time. Yeah, I did. I got back on a two wheeler and 2001 or 2002, uh, raced that work series, raced the vet class, vet pro, vet expert, whatever it was at that time. And, um, that was fun. I, I was fortunate enough to win that championship in that particular year. And I also did some, uh, Rocky mountain enduro races. Um, those were really, really challenging and, you know, learning to ride single track, from go, coming from an indoor or a motocross background, learning to ride off-road, um, you know, Rodney Smith was uh, really successful at that. It, it was it, it, it was a lot to learn. It's a different discipline. And I was fortunate to uh, race that work series, have a good time, race the Rocky Mountain Enduro Series, have a good time. And I did that for several years, and I had a group of friends, and we all traveled together, and um, it was a hoot. You were just finishing when we started, uh, when I started with Doug Eichner and, uh, we started racing ATVs in 2001. Um, and we went to, uh, Laughlin and raced our first race in 2001. And then in, uh, 2002, Sandy we race, right? Laughlin's a Sandy one. Yep. 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 We went out there and, and, uh, I took two pros out there and they went one, two, obviously, uh, there wasn't a huge pro class, but there was a few guys and I actually won the amateur ride. So it was, it was a lot of fun. I, I, I got to, uh, I got to race works, um, with it was I, a fun series, wasn't it? It was neat, especially in the beginning. Yeah. I think it was no offense to Randy, the guy that owns it now. I think it was funner than, uh, the, the format. Um, because you came in, you raced, you left. You didn't have to. You didn't have to come in on Friday or Thursday. You could come in on Saturday morning, sign up, race, and 
and check out uh, Saturday night or stay till Sunday. You know, it was, um, yeah, it was just, to me, it was a lot more fun. You didn't need to practice. And when the green flag dropped, that's, you got, that was all the practice you needed right then. Yep. It was a fun, you know, it was fun. It was part off-road. It was part motocross and it still is. It's, um, they had some good venues there. It was, uh, you know, Laughlin was, uh, Laughlin was a good time. That was a pounding whoop slamming, you know, (laughs) you had to, you had to, you had to hold on. Your teeth didn't fall out from slamming into those whoops one after the other for, for umpteen laps. Well, you were riding this, you were riding a Cadillac, a two wheeler. I was riding a four wheeler in there, dude. You know, a 660 Raptor in, in those conditions weren't the greatest, wasn't the greatest thing to ride, you know? I mean, you have you probably don't even keep up with some of the ATV models now, do you? Um, I, no, I don't. Well, Yamaha's the king right now. You know, Honda, Honda quit making uh, their machine in 14. Suzuki stopped in 10. Kawasaki... Uh, I don't remember exactly when they dropped out, but it was somewhere, it, it was somewhere in the, you know, 12, 14 range, I believe. Uh, yeah. and, and Suzuki stayed in a little bit after their, they stopped making their machine, uh, because they didn't follow the rules. So they got dinged and, and they wouldn't pay the fine. So they just stopped selling them, stopped selling it. You know, it's hard to follow the rules. It really is. <laughs> You did a lot of uh, traveling across the nation with the ATV stuff too, didn't you? I did. I traveled, yeah, all across the United States. I mean, from uh, Southern California to Southwick, Massachusetts. That was a that was a haul. And you did that in a pickup truck. <laughs> I did with a friend of mine, and we drove that. You know, with a uh, one or two bikes piled in the back. You know, I think we'd set them up on the rear bumper or something and stack them in the back of this pickup truck and drive over there to Southwick. And, you know, it was a good time, man. Hit the Dairy Queen when you got over there, say hi, make some friends, <laughs> <laughs> have a good race. And, uh, um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't do it again, but <laughs> those are great times. <laughs> well, you were much younger then and, and, and didn't know how much time it took. Right. I'm 56 years old now. And, you know, if, uh, if you, we all, all of us racer guys, you know, you guys, everybody in the industry, we all live in dog years. So we're, you know, kind of seven. <laughs> we had a lot of fun. You know, I, I, I remember being able to take a road trip and not thinking anything of it. Um, now it, you really gotta, you really gotta want to get in that vehicle and spend that much time driving to do it. Uh, because I stopped traveling all the time at the end of 19. So you figure you and I connected at the end of the eighties and I did it all through the nineties, the early two thousands, the mid two thousands, and then stopped in 19. So it, 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 31 years is what we calculated that I, I started traveling and, uh, it's uh wow it's it's it, it was a long time it was great i had a lot of good time been to a lot of great places done a lot of cool things it- here's a funny story for you you know we were talking about that holland trip earlier and uh lauren and i you know we got on the airplane and lauren gets on the plane with an extra large pizza 
<laughs> and like you wouldn't share. <laughs> and we went over and, and I I learned after I we went over there because I mean it was we went over there and we we went to a Mexican restaurant in uh Holland and they you know they had bananas and the enchiladas and that was a, a change from a guy coming from Southern California that you know ate <laughs> Right. We, you know, you as well. I mean, we are, it's good Mexican food is, is, uh, is a guarantee in Southern California. And I remember trying to get a slice of pizza out of that box from Lauren and man, it, it was hard. It was really hard. He was guarding that thing. He had a lock and chain around it and he wasn't cooperating at all. <laughs> you have well, to tell him about that. Yeah. He's, he told me the first time I got to travel overseas, you need to take, you know, granola bars and this and this and this with you. Yep, there he is. Yep. Because you don't have nothing to eat. Well, <laughs> unlike, <laughs> well unlike him, I'll, I'll try just about anything. You know, my wife's from Guadalajara, so I get traditional Mexican food. Yep. Just nothing like Southern California Mexican food. Um, and when we go travel in into Mexico, if she hands me something to eat, I eat it just because I, if she's giving it to me, it's going to be good. And the, some of the traditional foods are just phenomenal, which I ate good. The only time I didn't eat good is when I went to Dakar. There was some food they cooked that I had no idea what it was. And, and I was <laughs> don't <to>. ask. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, what was that camel? <laughs> well, we didn't go to um, Africa and race. We got to race in, in South America. Um, and the second time I got to go, you could go outside of the bivouac and eat in town. Yeah. And that changed everything. You know, you, you could eat, you could relax, you could have a good time. You could stay in hotels. So that that was just like going to the Baja 500 for 15 days in a row. <laughs> you know, so it was a lot of fun. But when you traveled back to Southwick, did you stop at any other venues and race on your way out or on the way back? Um, not that I remember. No, it was, uh, you know, it was get there and get it, get it done and, you know, get back. It was, uh, um, I had this, I had, I had a, uh, we had a place in Texas. Some friends of mine had a shop there and that we kind of based out of Texas for those, you know, everything was on the East coast back there. I mean, are the majority of the races that the, not the Mickey Thompson stuff, but so much the AA TVA outdoor and the flat track races were mostly on the East coast, mostly, you know, Texas East. And sometimes I'd drop my bike off or, you know, I had some friends and I'd be like, hey, man, you, you know, I'll meet you at the next race, you know, throw this in the back of your truck. And that, that's kind of how we made it happen. That's so cool. And, and nowadays it's, you know, your your big rigs and, and motorhomes and trailers and, uh, you know, mom and dad are taking most of the kids. Um, there's not many pickup truck guys left. <laughs> No, it was, uh, you know, it was the real deal. I mean, that's how we had to get, you know, that's how you had to get to the races back then. And, uh, you know, sponsorship was, I mean, I had great sponsors, you know, from you guys through Showy Helmets, Scott Goggles, O'Neill, Racewear, um, Gear Racewear, 
Um, a lot of good times, and, uh, you know, Graydon. I mean, some of these guys aren't even around anymore. You know, the, the some of those sponsors, Quad Dynamics, really, really good guy with suspension, and Billy Keith, Clem Research, um, Paul Turner. You know, you guys made this exhaust pipe. I don't know if you remember, but it had a valve on it, and you guys rigged up a thumb thumb actuator, you know, thumb lever on the handlebar. And I remember racing at the Coliseum because the Coliseum had this really big back straightaway that was really long. And I would push on this lever, and it would, you know, it would open. Is there two strokes? It would open the uh, this valve, and you know, the way the cones and the pipe are it would allow it. It would make it a more high RPM pipe. From a low RPM pipe, and it was pretty cool, man. That thing, I mean, I remember I'd grab that thing and hold it on, and you know, hold on to the handlebar and hold on to the throttle at the same time, try and slide it around the corners, and it it really uh, it really made the motor run well. We still have that pipe. <laughs> that was a good one. We don't. We own Lauren only made one. Really? Yep. You and one other guy, I think, are the only people that got to use it. Um, somebody dented it. Um, at some point, so I don't know if the valve works correctly anymore, but, uh, it, it was a pretty, it was a pretty nostalgic thing, um, for a, quite a while, but we still have it. Um, it's in the loft in a bag, you know, protected, uh, <laughs> let's bring it out. Let's that, that's a great for dunes. I mean, that's a, that'd be a fun, that'd be a fun pipe, you know, for a duner guy that wants, uh, both sides of the power band. Well, we'll have to talk Lauren into it because you know how he is, dude. He wouldn't let the pizza go. We have things. We have some of the old school stuff in bags or 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 put away, and he won't break it out. I'm telling you, we were there for a week or five, seven days, six, something like that. He had this extra large pizza. Somehow he made it last for the entire five days. It was impressive. <laughs> That's Lauren. You know. <laughs> And he was a smart guy. I mean, that was, you know, it was, it was unobtainable over there. I mean, their pizza was different. <laughs> oh yeah. I had a buddy of mine uh, that I met in, in France and he's from Poland and he took me on a uh, touring ride uh, all over the Alps. And we got down into uh, Austria or some, somewhere, uh, somewhere over there. And yeah, when we, when they ordered pizza, Nothing like I'd ever eaten before. <laughs> you know? are, you, are you guys doing anything with the thousand, the Baja one thousand these days? We have product that races in it. Um, we don't have in-house guys anymore. Any in-house riders will support specific events or specific guys doing a certain series. Um, there's a guy that builds a lot of uh, uh, desert bikes, uh, Felipe Valdez in Mexico. And when he asked us for help, we help him. And, um, uh, there's some other guys here that race various races, various things, and we'll help out occasionally. Um, but the in-house riders kind of went away, um, 18, 19, 20. Um, yeah, it's just not, uh, owning the bike, the last guy that we had that we owned their machine was uh, Eichner's equipment in uh, 2006. But yeah, it just it's just not it's just not the same anymore. There's it uh, has changed quite a bit. I know. I've gone down and watched a couple times as a spectator. You know, watched the. I mean, it's 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 an event, and 
in town there. I mean, they take over the town. Yeah. yeah. It, it, but it has changed. There's a lot, you know, Ivan, Iron Man Stewart and, you know, Roger Mears and all those guys, they're, they're not there anymore. <laughs> it's a different crowd. Uh, it is a whole different crowd and the trophy truck races are, you know, there's 43, 44, you know, trucks taken off at one time or, or you know, intervals and you know they qualify now and and the speeds they travel is is unbelievable it's just like you know you look at some of the speeds that some of the bikes go you know i'd almost love for you to come out and ride one of the machines that we have of today um the four strokes you're thinking 300 ex warrior like really this thing's a turtle these four strokes are faster than any of the two strokes you wrote your banshee revved out at like 10 grand. Your your four strokes are revving to eleven five. Wow. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And they make power. You know, they'll come out of the turn super strong, super strong down the, the track. There's no uh, really heavy uh, out of balance stuff. Yamaha did a great job making their Yamaha 450R. And, you know, Honda's TRX model wasn't a bad model either. Um, they just didn't seem like they wanted to be in the ATV industry anymore. Right. So it's funny how that happens. I think the numbers would still be there, but you know, uh, didn't the snowmobile limit have a problem for a while? Uh, yeah. I mean, Skidoo and Polaris make the most of the models. Yamaha makes a model. Um, it's more used in the Midwest. The mountain sleds, you know, the deep, deep powder. I mean, you almost have to build your own. And that, you know, I mean, that that's kind of where I, I had a good time on the snowmobiles is because I learned from the two-wheelers and I learned from you and I learned from Lauren how to build horsepower and how to make bikes work. And I took that to the uh, snowmobiles and, and was able to have a really strong running snowmobile. And I mean, when you're at, over 10,000 feet, you know, there's no air. Those things are trying to run and, you know, you, you can't really walk out. <laughs> it's a long post hole walk back. So, you know, you ride with your friends and, and you make sure your equipment works and uh, it's, it's a great time. I, I mean, I, you know, we're all motocross, we're all racers, motocross racers, pod racers, ATV racers. I mean, it's, you know, we'd race shopping carts, skateboards, whatever, you know, whatever we could. I mean, throw out some hay bales and put a flag out and a plastic trophy. They're going to have 40 guys going, you know, elbow to elbow. <laughs> um, the snowmobiling is a good time. It's, you know, it's that adrenaline rush. It's just like dirt bikes, it's just like ATVs and quads. Um, only you're out in the middle of, you know, out in the middle of nowhere. And I mean, nowhere. And that makes it really fun. I really, I enjoyed that. I did that for probably 20 years and skied as well. Um, I, you know, I'm just a, I'm, I'm a worn out adrenaline junkie. And you still do it occasionally now? I do. I, well, you know, yeah. I mean, <laughs> this, I haven't last year and I didn't the year before because there's no snow anymore. I mean, the kind of, quality you know i mean the quality snow that we enjoyed in years past 
yeah, there's still you know a lot of snowfall, but it's the how it falls and the layers and it gives you that base support and um, you know the avalanche conditions are much higher today. Um, you know, the avalanche is the real thing. I've had several people, several friends of mine have died in avalanches. It's it's uh, something you would like to avoid. So when it does snow, because I don't know anything about the snow, you have to monitor how it's snowing what the levels are, what the temperatures are to make sure that it's safe to go snowmobiling? Yeah, you do. You know, you do. Um, I mean, if you can think about a layer cake, um, you know, someone makes you a, a one layer of a layer cake and it sets out for three days on the kitchen countertop and gets all crusty. Then you put another three layers of, you know, 24, 36 inches of snow on top of that frozen bottom layer they don't, there's no traction there. You know, that stuff slides off the top. And it, the consistent snowfall has been challenging lately. And my buddies, uh, uh, you know, we're looking forward to a, a better, you know, a good year coming up and, and future good years of good snowfall for, you know, for skiing and for, for snowmobiling. Does the snowfall affect the skiing just as much as it does the uh, snowmobiling? It does, you know, it does for me. I mean, I'm, I, I, uh, uh, Crested Butte is, uh, uh, one of the most extreme ski resorts in, in North America, lift accessible. And it's, uh, they have the world, uh, they have the extreme, or I think it's the world extreme championships there. They've had them for many years. They had the X games before they went over to Aston. It's a real outdoor enthusiast place. And it, um, you know, they had the Colorado 500 went there for several years, the Colorado 300, the industry group went out there and, um, you know, all kinds of guys that come out and ride and we have great trails there. I mean, Crested Butte has, um, some of the best off-road trail. I mean, they're getting crowded, they're getting overused, but you know, there's still some of the best high altitude, uh, off-road riding, trail riding that, that go trails. <laughs> That, that that's out there so dual sporting is a big thing there as well um yeah dual sport riding all over uh you know my friend uh fritz Cadillac. uh he owns a shop in gunnison he's uh he's a previous isd is isd, ISD. thank you um yeah. trial or uh enduro guy um he won a bunch of races and you know he, he's an old guy like me he's got a a shop in Gunnison and uh, sells Husqvarna's and still rides and uh, dual sports ride does dual sport rides as well. And um, there's tons of places to go for rides out there. Tim Tolson comes out and rides around every once in a while. I hear from him. That's, that, that's incredible because, you know, you probably remember a little bit about where, where we live on East in East County and in uh, Lakeside, Santee, El Cajon on the outskirts of San Diego. The Cajon Zone. <laughs> yeah, well, we used to be able to ride all over El Cajon, San right. e, you know, and, and into the mountains. Now, yeah, you're you're limited, and we lose more trails all the time. You know, I had the Crested Butte Trail Riders Association in Crested Butte for many many years, and we did you know all we could to preserve those trails. And um, I mean, it's a great time, you know, now you have the electric, you know, it's kind of interesting. What's going to happen with these electric bikes? Um, I have a, an electric bike, an e-bike, a mountain bike, and I really enjoy it because it allows me to go places that um, nobody else can go. I mean, the dirt bike guys, 
you know, you, if you're on the dirt bike trails, you know, that's one experience, but the backcountry, you know, the isolation, um, the non-motorized stuff to be able to get back there on an e-bike is, uh, really scenic and a good time. You know, how there's, there's trails that they'll allow a regular mountain bike on that they won't allow an e-bike on here. Oh, same out here. It's a, it's a controversy. Yeah, but I, what's the what's the controversy? Well, my insurance company tells me that my bike, if it's a bicycle, is not powered by anything. And if it has an electric motor or a gas-powered motor or any kind of motor, it's considered motorized. And you, you know, you have to have its own insurance policy. I mean, these electric bikes today are expensive. You know, you like wonder <laughs> what happens to it if someone takes it or so you start asking yourself those questions and you you know you start looking at policies and they're considered motorized so i, I don't know how they get on a non-motorized trail i don't think uh they can i think that's changing i know in parts of colorado this place called fruta colorado um the blm is allowing e-bikes on mountain bike trails because you know i mean i mean i did this i was a president of a trail riding club for years i mean i argued in the merits and the benefits of motorized use and you know the argument was well they destroy all the trails and you know that's the same argument that the they're using against the motorized or e-bikes is that they're you know they're motorized so they're damaging the trail and you know that's not right but I mean, I'm sorry, it's just not true. I mean, water damage and cattle and horses exceed their bike damage or e-bike damage significantly. So it's, you know, it's that awareness that's coming. And I I don't know what the future, I mean, it's going to be interesting because everybody's got an e-bike. I mean, they're selling those things, right? And they're riding them on paths and, you know, around town. And I mean, I am, you know, we all are, but I mean, some of them have a throttle. So why? I don't, we'll see how that all plays out. <laughs> I've gotten to ride one and uh, it was at dirt wheels in, in the parking lot, not out, not off road, but it, it's almost cheating, you know? Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. We, yeah. When you do 15 miles on a non-motorized bike, you know, and it takes four hours and it takes you a couple of days to recover afterwards, you know, that e-bike becomes kind of fun because now you can do more rides. You can go deeper and further. I mean, it's still a workout, but you just you can do it more often and go further. You just summed it up. Everybody that I talked to says, hey, instead of that short ride that we go on, we go on, we're out there twice as long because we can go farther. We have more fun and we're burning even more calories because we're out there longer, you know, and we're not killing ourselves. Try yeah. not to kill ourselves. <laughs> You know, out of all the years of all the motorsports that I've motorcycles, ATVs, three wheelers, all the stuff that I've ridden, I have more scars from mountain bikes. And I didn't start riding mountain bikes till 2012. It's it's crazy. I, I have. What are you riding? What do you got? Uh, I have right now. I have a 29 er a, a Trek. Yeah. And um, I had a 26 uh, Trek, and I really enjoyed that. I upgraded the front forks um fox like a fox float and really really enjoyed it through the rough um i could downhill i could stick it in the turns 
uh, I ran a, I ran a real fat front tire and the narrower rear and that bike handled so good. When I went to this 29er, um, I, I never have adapted to it. I just, the I big like wheels, it. doesn't it? I don't like the way it turns. Yeah. Big wheels. It's, yeah. it's different. Yeah. Well, it drifts in the turns too much. So when you go to, when you on a dry day, when you go to lay it into the turn, it, it you have to start on the inside because you're going to the outside. Yeah, it's really funny, you know, from 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 and you I feel you would feel this way as well. I mean, coming from the motor two wheel ATV world, you know, these mountain bike guys, I mean, they're trying really hard, but, you know, they, they should pay attention to what's the mousetrap that's already been made. I mean, some of that stuff, uh, they become they're becoming more and more like your bikes. I mean, I think this e-bike that I ride is kind of like X 100. <laughs> it feels about the same the same flex the same amount of suspension um well you did all the guys that i know that ride the e-bikes like them because they stick when you come down the hill and you just put that plant that front tire it sticks where on those 29ers unless you can get a big rubber which um talking to some of the shops They've changed the forks a little bit so that you can run a fatter front tire. The tire development's gotten better um, because of that exact issue. When you put that, when you stick that front tire in there and it doesn't stick, that limits your speed. That limits how aggressive you can get. And me personally, I it hurts when you go down, and I'll just, I just I just lost a little bit of interest because um, I, I couldn't control it the same way. You know, yeah, I mean, they got some new tires out. Um, that minion downhill wide track one is a little stiffer sidewall and it helps. I mean, I know what you're saying. I, I like the e bikes uh, because they're heavier and they're sturdier and you can ride them harder. Um, they weigh more, but you can ride them harder and it's more, you know, it's more fun. And if I don't know, you ride that thing on mine's got eco mode it's kind of like the same as a regular mountain bike, you know, it just, it kind of compensates for that extra 20, 23 pounds of battery and weight that, that's on the bike. What version machine do you have? I have the Trek rail 9.8 XT. Well, wow, that's a nice one. <laughs> it's a great, I mean, it is a great, they're hard to find. I, uh, I actually bought it in Montana. I was traveling in Montana on a, a mountain bike trip and i have some friends there in whitehall montana and we were staying at their place and uh, we were riding mountain bikes all over montana having a great time and we went to this shop in bozeman montana and they had two of these bikes um a small and a large and so my girlfriend got small i got the large and we've just had a great time with those and they have this bosch motor in them and they're you know it's a great way to train um you know, I mean, look at Tomac, you know, he comes from a mountain bike background. I mean, it's a, it's a great, uh, it's a great accoutrement to, to riding a dirt bike and it's a lot of fun and it's, you can take your dog. I mean, that's the, you can take your girlfriend and you can have an experience and you can be outdoors and, um, you know, you don't have 20 pounds of gear on you. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but when you fall, don't fall because it hurts. <laughs> Well, nobody told me that because I crashed a lot. Nobody also told me about the front brake 
you know, that you got to be real gentle on a mountain bike front brake? Well, the first thing you have to do is set it, you know, get rid of that European goofy stuff and put the front brake on the right side and the rear brake on the left side because they got it backwards. You know, when you first get the mountain bike, I don't know however that happened in Europe, right? The front brake's on the left. Yeah. And the, is that right? The rear, yeah, the rear brake's on the right. And that's, you know, that's a recipe for pain and pain and anguish, <laughs> right? So switch that over to, you know, obviously switch it over to the right side so the front brake's on the right. And it, it makes a lot more sense. Yeah, I, I bounced off the ground a couple of times because I just grabbed too much brake and over the bars you go, you know. I had, I had a set of I had a set of forks. Um, I had leaky seals, right? And and I said, hey, you know, is this going to cause me a problem? And the guy goes, ah, no, you know, you got, you got a couple more rides in them, and then you're going to need to bring them in, and we'll service them. I leave the shop, go on my ride, and I go through a creek crossing. And, and when I hit the bottom of the creek crossing, the forks bottomed out and stuck. <laughs> my, my face hit the other side of the, of the bank. And, it, you know, and it was when I came back in, I didn't even wipe my face up. I just brought my bike back to them. And, you know, they're, they're like, uh, do, we, do we need to call somebody or, you know, are, are, are you going to sue us? And I, what am I going to sue you for? I'm the idiot that wrote it, you know. <laughs> Well, yeah. get your mountain bike, get Lauren, come on out to Colorado. I'll take you on some good trails. Oh, uh, Lauren wouldn't ride a mountain bike to save his life. <laughs> yeah, he wouldn't, dude. He, he likes to do a little bit of road biking, but but uh, no. He, Lauren won't do anything that will risk his 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 ability to work. He's you know, a hard worker, always was. He still ports every cylinder, every two-stroke and four-stroke cylinder. He still does by hand. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, that you've seen it, you've seen him do it back in the day. Um, he's got a little bitty room. He wears a respirator now and goes in there and does this thing, you know, it's, it's crazy. Some things have changed and, and, and evolved. Uh, but if you came to the shop and, and hung around for an hour, you would see so many similarities to the way we did it then to the way we do it now. It's, it's just, it's just the, the system it works and, and it's worked for a number of years. And, uh, I don't, I don't see us changing until we leave, you know, the problem is, is there's nobody behind us. I mean, in, in, in the industry itself, most of the people that know are gray hairs. <laughs> right you know yeah it's uh it's an ever-changing world all the time exactly exactly well you guys got to start building you got you got to start getting into the mountain bikes man i want to i want to see a paul turner pipe on uh on my mountain bike well, we're going to have to come up with some special windings for your mountain bike so that we can have a variable speed motor that nobody else has that uh, that gives you more power as you're going up the hill with less drain on the battery. There you go. Just whatever you can do to have more fun. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's <clears throat> you know, I really miss the old days when we could go to the races and there there was not a lot of pressure, you know going to uh i don't know if you remember this we went to uh um giant stadium up there in san francisco I do 
Donnie Banks, you know, he was always a kick, you know. Uh, right. Th- that race, you and him reconstalled the show and just had an amazing race. You know, I something happened and I didn't get to go into the area where I, where the mechanics were. I had to go somewhere else for some, I don't even remember what happened, but I got to watch the race from the stands at, at, from the stands. And it was, a, it was a pretty awesome experience because you guys just put on a battle, you know, those are the things that I remember and miss. Yeah. Those are good times, man. It was, you know, it was, uh, everybody was trying the heart as hard as they could and everybody was, you know, racing and, um, you know, it's, uh, it's different. You know, you see these, I watch the Supercross or the outdoor nationals, you know, Jet Lawrence, his brother Hunter. And I mean, look at Eli, how's good he's doing in the 450 class right now. And, you know, those guys are, it's funny, man. Those guys are all buddies with each other and hanging out. I mean, back in the day, man, we didn't hang out with each other. You know? I mean, Donnie Banks is a great guy, but you know, I mean, I wanted to beat him. I didn't want to talk to him. <laughs> I'm sure he felt the same way. That is one of the big differences that I've noticed is most of those guys will sit and talk with each other and hang out. Um, you get to the Joel Hetrick and the Chad Ween and those, these are the two top motocross guys. They don't hang out as much, but all of the guys that are coming up through the field, yeah, they're all buddies. They all go ride with each other. Um, and, and, and that's crazy because, um, it, it's, it was never like that when we were doing it. It was, it was different. It was different. Yeah. When you, um, were developing some of that stuff, how much of that stuff was done in secret where nobody else knew about it? Oh, I thought it was in secret, but you know, I don't think it was that secret. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, we tried. I mean, we had that pipe that had that valve in it. That was kind of cool. And, you know, I had some different suspension stuff. I mean, I ran really stiff suspension. Um, just so I, you know, because I, I was a bigger guy, so I could hit stuff harder. I mean, the worst thing is bottoming out and then your bike deflects and you, you know, you go for a ride in some direction you don't want to go. So, um, I, it, I mean, we were just trying to get to the race and, you know, have a good time. I mean, it was more, um, I mean, it's all high tech today, you know, I mean, everybody's, I mean, those guys, those guys that are racing the two wheelers today, I mean, some of them, I don't think they even know what's inside their shock or what's inside the cylinder, you know, or how to tune it or how to adjust it or, you know, any of those things. So it, um, it's different. Well, when we were doing it, I was expected to know a little bit of everything and in certain situations, everything. Yeah. Yeah. If we had to work on a a shock and there was nobody else around, we had to do it. Right. You had to find a bigger hammer or something to make it work. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it was just no, as it's evolved, you have a suspension guy, you have a tuner, you have, uh, you know, this guy, that guy, you know, so there's four or five guys standing around working on one machine or doing something with one machine. You have very few riders. You know, I think Chad Weenan and Joel Hetrick may be the only two guys. Well, Bo Barron on the West Coast, you know, these are guys that have the skill level to work on it. I mean, a Bo can set his shocks, but he can't rebuild his shocks. Um you know, neither can the other guys, I believe, but 
yeah, it's not the same. It's not at all yeah. the same, you know. And then there's some old school guys that still do a lot of stuff, but not not like it used to be. Not like it used to be at all. Um, it, it evolves, you know. Everything evolves. Um, so we, we had a good time and we had a lot of fun and and uh, I, I miss those days, you know. I do too. I remember your shop down there, and you remember uh, Kohler's Colors that was next door to you. Yep. I don't know if he's still around or not. I mean, that was a neat, that was a good time down there. And we had that. He passed. Uh, yeah. It, it was a bummer. Lauren and him were really good friends. You know, and uh, I think one of the last things he ever painted was Lawrence Harley. Yeah, he was, he did a great job. In fact, one of those helmets up there is, is his helmet. That's awesome. That's so awesome. Lauren has one of his helmets and um, I have one, but I crashed in mine and broke it. So it's all scratched up. So it doesn't, it doesn't look the same anymore. You know, um, so what happens when you take a quad guy and put him on a two wheeler, <laughs> you know, dual sport riding in the, in the Hills. Um, yeah. 20 some years ago and busted my head and um, probably the worst, crash that i've ever had you know i had a pretty gnarly concussion and um haven't had a drop of alcohol since because when i drink i get sick and it's all stems from something happened when i when i hurt my brain you know you know it didn't make me any smarter i don't think it made me any dumber because i still do the same stupid shit but (laughs) at least i'm not doing it drinking now right I hear you. I've had a few concussions back in the day. I I crashed at uh, Glen Helen going down that downhill one time and hit my head pretty good. I wasn't quite sure which end was up there for a little while. It's uh, we'll see how all that turns out, right? You know, here's what I here's what I want. I'm gonna I'm gonna build an old folks home, and it's gonna be for all dirt bike racers and <laughs> racers and ATV racers and anybody else, and we're gonna have you know old bull tacos and old Osas and old Huskies and Honda, the Elsinore and there. And every, every time before dinner, we'll just start one, you know, that two stroke smell fill the whole building. There you we'll go. So geezers out of our rooms and we'll go to the dining hall, laugh our ass off and have a good time. <laughs> well, most everybody will be on scooters trying to race to the d- dining hall. Oh, I'm sure there'll be, it'll be all elbows and doors all the way to the dining hall. <laughs> how, how competitive do you still feel when you're downhilling with your buddies pretty competitive it just never goes away doesn't really change (laughs) doesn't change man i mean it no you you always want to it's the you always want to win it's fun yeah it is it is it is it really is couple quote last things and then i know that it's it, it, it it's cutting into your evening time um what was your favorite place to race do you remember Uh, yeah, I do. Um, Anaheim stadium was my favorite place to race. Um, I like the dirt and the energy of the crowd was pretty amazing. I mean, they, um, 
you know, what is it? Uh, 70,000 people. If it's the same stadium today, <laughs> I mean that, you know, that pounding and you, I mean, you could hear them yelling and I mean, you know, everybody that was racing could hear it. It was real, it was real powerful. Now, everybody from the industry was there. I mean, it was a premier event. It still is today. And, um, you know, I grew up in Southern California, so I like that harder clay dirt. Um, you could spin, you could slide a little bit. <clears throat> so Anaheim Stadium was my was my favorite track or my favorite place to race. You know how jealous most of the young people are that will never get to race in the Coliseum. That was a good place. That was a great one too. Um, mm-hmm. Right, it's no longer. You know, my favorites. My favorite races are back when we were doing that. Um, were the, the the my favorite Mickey's were the Anaheim, the Rose Bowl, and the Coliseum. All right, those are great. We always had great success in all three of those places, and the I mean, the crowd was just unfreaking believable. Every time, every time, you know. And then in the outdoor stuff and the TT stuff, Loretta Lens was was hard to beat. And Raleigh, North Carolina, the fairgrounds there, that was I won there a couple times at TT, and I wasn't really a uh, TT guy or a flat track guy. And um, I had that Suzuki quad, that five hundred. It just came out. Man, I had a good time. I don't know. Those are my two favorite. The outdoor tracks were, were the motocross tracks were Loretta Lynn's. That was just a great event. You know, it's great that, that she supports motocross racing. And then Raleigh, North Carolina, those fairgrounds, they had the races there. I don't know if they still do today, but they had them there for a couple of years. And I don't know, man. I just, I couldn't do, I couldn't do much wrong in <laughs> North Carolina. It was a good time for Don Turk. That's awesome. I I didn't, I never got to go to the Raleigh races. Um, They stopped in, um, I think, 89, maybe 90. I'm not sure exactly, but I never got to go to that facility. They stopped going uh, to Florida before I, before I started going as well. You know, so I didn't get to go to, I didn't go to Gatorback. Um, so I didn't get to go to a couple of those places that um, were iconic. And I still think would be hugely iconic, you know. Um, you know, we had uh, our 200th or our two year anniversary show. Uh, we just released it here not too long ago. And Ricky Johnson came and sat down uh, and talked with my dad because in, in his young years, Ricky started racing XRs, XR 75s in the seventies. And my dad was the guy that built his XRs. And I don't know if you remember. Andy Duncan, right? Yeah. My dad. Yeah. And, um, my dad was telling the story about the Rose bowl because my dad was at that race when Ricky came, when he wasn't supposed to, when he rode for Honda, and came out and did all those big jumps and everything right before we raced. You know, I don't know if you remember that one, but that was a, a pretty iconic race. Um, 
been a lot of fun. You know, I, I, I miss the Rose Bowl. I really do. You know, Southern California is just a great, I mean, there's no other place that motorsports, motocross, especially motocross is so dominant and popular. I mean, there's, you know, Southern California is just the, the epicenter. I mean, you know, Clint Hardick, Ricky Johnson, Scott Burnsworth, Ron Lachine, all those guys, um, I rode two wheelers with and, you know, went on to be successful. And I mean, it was just a, I mean, all those guys down there and Bank Esquitos Lagoon where we rode at and places in El Cajon that we rode at. I mean, it was, you know, it was, it was, I mean, it was great. I mean, Hey, you remember there was guys driving around on a pickup, brand new pickup truck with a dirt bike in the back of the truck. They never unloaded. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> the trailer Queens or what, you know, I mean, it was motor motorsports were so popular in Southern California and, you know, still are. It's just, uh, it was a great time. And, you know, it still is today. I mean, it's a great state for, for motorsports. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, my friend, um, What's his name? Andrew. He uh, he's got that. He makes those dune buggies, you know, up in uh, Orange County. Those like sand, super badass sand cars that go out to Glamis and do wheelies and super high powered. Yep. It's just, it's just, Andrew Buck. It's just, exactly. Thank you. It's nonstop. Yeah. We got to so get him. Let's get. Let's. We want to drive one of his cars. Those things are amazing. Yeah, we need to. We need to con him into going, taking us out to the desert. Let's do it. <laughs> well, my youngest daughter had never been to the sand dunes, right? Yeah. So uh, uh, you probably don't know. You remember Randy Norman? Uh, the name motorcycles. sounds familiar, yeah. Raced motorcycles at the same time. Well, they own a steering damp in our company. And Randy and I are friends. And he brought me his uh, UTV, his Yamaha. And I did some work on it, uh, put some shocks on it, put a roll cage, did some other stuff. So. I'm going to the desert and I don't have a quad right at the moment. So I, I wanted to be able to take my wife and daughter on, on rides, you know, and Valeria had never been anything. She's never ridden a quad. She's never been in a UTV, never been to the sand dunes. So borrow Randy's car. And as I'm driving away, Randy goes, Hey, one thing, don't roll my car. Oh boy. <laughs> Famous last words. <laughs> yeah. So, so we get to the desert and, and Valeria is all ready to go and it's dark. And I said, no, we're not going to go out in the dark. I'm not too sure about driving Randy's car in the night. Cause I've only driven it for a magazine article in the dunes. I, I hadn't had it out there. First ride, we go out there and, and Lauren's getting all frisky in his car thinking he's hot. So I'm, I'm getting a little aggressive, you know, and, and I miss a shift going up a small little dune. And the next thing I know, they're pulling us out of the car and we're upside down. Oh no. Oh, no. <laughs> it didn't hurt it. It didn't even scratch the paint on the roof. It broke the whip. You know, we flip it over on its wheels, fire it back up and we're all good to go. But you know, her first experience is, is in, is not just one slow rollover. It's two slow rollovers. Well, that's how you break them in. Uh, yeah. She, she went riding the rest of the weekend. She wouldn't ride with me, but she did go riding. So it, it was a lot of fun. And um, I miss it. I miss riding. You know, I have some physical limitations where I don't get to go ride much. Uh, it's funny. I can go ride my mountain bike but I can't go ride like I want in the dunes. It, 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 something about 
what it does, the way your body's working in the dunes, my shoulders just can't take it. Yeah. It just sucks, you know, but hard pack trail ride. No problem. Stay on that mountain bike. It'll, it'll, it'll keep you going. Yeah. My, my wife, uh, usually doesn't let me ride very much. I get a couple rides in a year now. Uh, not nothing like I used to, uh, when I met my wife, I was going three times a week and, uh, now it's, it's, it's three times a year, <laughs> Oh boy! but you know, I still try. I still try. Uh, Don, I want to thank you so much. I, I know that I've been chasing you down for a little while. You're a pretty busy guy. And, and I really appreciate it. This meant the world to me because like I said, not everybody realizes that, you know, everybody has to start somewhere. And I got to start with being your mechanic. And, and that was an honor because you were a champion. You were a guy that everybody looked up to in the industry. And for me to be able to roll your machine out there for you, uh, just at the time, I didn't even realize how big of a deal it was. And thank God, because I might've been nervous. Uh, uh, you know, I wasn't, I was just a, a green kid that, that loved working on ATVs and, and wanted to see my bikes win. And, and you did a great job on them. And I really appreciate it. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolution.org or call for an appointment, 619-987-8875. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industry building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all the available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.